Welcome to the show. My name is Jake Gallen, and I will be your VIP host for the night. Let me see if your name is on the guest list. Ah, there it is. Before I let you in, I must let you know one thing. The people on this list are some of the very best eccentric entrepreneurs, creative visionaries, and ambitious leaders that Las Vegas has to offer. Whatever you see is for your eyes and ears only. Now, go on, get in there. The show is about to start. All right, oof, welcome back, ladies and gentlemen. I'm sitting here with a very, very... I don't even know how to describe this man. He he has done so many different entrepreneurial endeavors since um, I've known him over the past few months. I'm sitting here with Mario Mitchell. He is the lead ambassador of Bunker Labs Vegas. If you guys heard the, the podcast with Dave Berlin, they are both in this same space that deals with entrepreneurship with with military veterans. And he is also onto a new endeavor. He is the ecosystem developer for the Dear Mama Fund. Funds, VCs, a lot of money and capital is trying to find its way out here to Las Vegas and invest in the local scene. So we get to sit here and talk with one of the men who is help, helping fortify that startup nature of Las Vegas. So Mario, thanks for coming on. Oh, thanks for having me. Seriously, you're probably one of um, the most we'll say allocated entrepreneurs that I've met in Las Vegas. Uh, I think you've done probably like 10 to 15 different endeavors since um, we've begun to know each other and over the past few years. So I think this is an easy starting place because we probably won't be able to cover everything, but um, just give us a little bit of context and a brief description of who Mario Mitchell is, um, what, what are your entrepreneurial aspirations and um, how you ended up with Bunker Labs and Dear Mom Fund. Awesome. Thanks, Jake. Um, so basically, Mario, a man, I'm more of a dad than anything. I, I really just want to do things to inspire my kids to want to be their greater selves. So I don't limit myself to things that, that people tell me I can't do. So you tell me I can't do something, and I'm like, okay, bet, like challenge accepted. And that's how I I tend to do a lot of things. So you said like 15, it's probably up there <laughs> and I, but I think um I I like to fight against the odds so when I entered the military the one thing that he says like hey you're underweight you know like I was 120 pounds I could have done any job I wanted to and when you tell me I you know my mom didn't want me to do anything that was gonna put me in a combat zone like okay you know whatever you know I was 17 and a half so she had to sign off and give her permission so I'm like I gotta listen to my mom at the end of the day I did what I wanted to do when I got into military and that's when I realize like I'm living a path that someone's drawn out for me in the military you pretty much from e1 to e9 if that's life you choose to do you know what you're gonna do that whole career you know where it's gonna go you can't swing left or right you know that's it I didn't want that I'm like I'm a rebel I like to disrupt things you tell me I have to do something I have to do it like I can't push back on it I don't want to do it anymore so when I got out I had a couple options I could have become a police officer I could have done security, worked in a hotel. It's like again. the standard. The seems standard. like the standard entry post-military. Exactly. And I didn't want to do any of that. I was like, I'm young. Like, you know, I took the police exam. I actually passed. But I was like, I don't want to do this. Like, this is not where I see my life. So I entered the world of technology. I went to V-School. V-School is uh, up in Salt Lake City. So the journey there was... What's it called? V-School? V-School. So Victor School. Oh, okay. Yes. So the journey there was hard because... We just had my, well, my son was about three at the time. 
my wife was pregnant with the twins. And like I had the journey from Vegas to Salt Lake City Monday through Friday and then come back home on the weekends. I had a full, I had, well, part-time job then. I had a part-time job, so I worked on the weekend. So the hustle was always going. It wasn't the best of times, but I got through it. I persevered through it because people thought I was going to burn out. It's like, bet. Challenge accepted. Finished the program. Um, did some cool things in technology. And I was like, I want to start my own business. I'm tired of answering to people. So me and my buddy, uh, David, he got out the Army, and we started a little marketing business. Wind up, you know, it was it's cool. Marketing is hard. Like it's a lot of things. To Marketing me. is extremely tough, and it is very saturated. It is that was the problem. So I was like, whatever. I actually walked into Punch Co, which is a nonprofit, actually downtown, and I met uh, the director, and I told him like I always had a vision of running my own coding school because I always thought I could do things better. Especially the fact that I was in Salt Lake City, and I went there open minded. Like I'm gonna see more than just three black people here. I think I only saw three people. <laughs> I was like, what's going on here? So come back down here, and I saw, saw the opportunity. They was like, hey, we need someone to run this program. I was like, okay, bet. Let's do it. Uh, normally, traditionally, held the spot for, like, people with degrees and everything. I was like, people with degrees don't know the, the, the commitment levels needed to actually do this. So I got the shot to the program from red to green. Did very, very well, but then I realized my vision of helping the black community actually enter tech it's not in line with that nonprofit, so I decided to leave and you know start my own coding school, which I did. Um, had great success there, and I was like, I want to do more. <laughs> so <laughs> it's always a challenge of pushing myself to do more. So I, I said, in the last ten years, I just turned thirty last month. Last ten years, I think I achieved all the things I wanted to do without having this a degree to hold me back. Um, next ten years, I'm looking to work and make all the money I can because in my 40s, my kids would be in their teens and I want to travel with them. So do something I never did growing up. That makes sense. They, they say in your 20s too is where you build the most staunch foundation for yourself. You go through many trials and errors. This is something that I've done with the various endeavors that I've divulged myself into as well as you getting into coding and going to Salt Lake and Bunker Labs and some of these other things. Well, what type of skills do you think you built throughout your entire 20s? Oh, so my superpower, everyone tells me, is I'm a very fearless person. I would talk to anyone and everyone. Like, I live this thing where you can tell me one or two things. Hey, Jake, you want to work with me? You only can tell me yes or no. You say you know, I can't do anything about that. Go on to next. Like, there's another person that has similar skills that I want to learn or, you know, get to know. And I can just get that from somewhere else. I don't, th like, let things hold me back. But being able to speak and be outspoken, um, I think growing up with my mom and, she, you know, I was the oldest and we had, I have two younger brothers, but her being a single, you know, woman, she, and she had to work. She had to often bite her tongue sometimes because she needs to maintain a job. I was like, I never want to be like that growing up. Right. And she gave me the power, like, yeah, I would get in trouble, but I can speak my mind. <laughs> so uh, I'm very opinionated. And if it's things I believe in, like, I'm going to make sure that you know, because if we're going to work together and you say something I don't like, I want to bring that out there. So I'm very open with my beliefs and things I want to do and things I want to accomplish. So just being able to put myself on the, on the front of people that can help me make change or, you know, inspire me to want to make change is something that I've never been afraid to do. And, like, that's one thing I've learned in my 20s is no is not the end of all. Like, no is just, like, once again, challenge yourself to I'm going to go find the, the, the things I need to become successful in it. it. 
if you're not direct as an entrepreneur, you probably won't find success, whether you're being direct with your co-founder or your, your staff, or even just being direct with yourself and understanding where your uh, limitations are of your capabilities sure. and knowing who you need to lean on to um, supplement your weakness for their strength and vice versa. And that just comes with the experience and you took the route of not having to go to, to traditional school, right? To, to go through entrepreneurship. And to me, that's the right path because it's all based off of experience. They don't teach you the, the mental hurdles and the emotional strain and the drain on your mental capacity and some of these non-tangential things that happen through entrepreneurship that you literally can't experience. Even if somebody tells you what's going to happen for me personally, I have to go through it myself to understand exactly. the, the emotions and the ties and how I'm feeling because the way that they felt going through some sort of process is not going to be the same exact uh, mental is not going to have the same amount of mental capacity and strain on me as them and vice versa. So you never really know until you continue to put yourself out there. Exactly. No, and I agree with that. Like people told me, I would never forget this, um, Sergeant Smeltz. She was my first sergeant. And I said, I wanted to lead the military. She's like, you're crazy. Why would you want to lead the comfort of having a job to go out there in the world? I also, at the time, was playing a lot of video games. Assassin's Creed was my jam. And they always talked about the leap of faith. I was like, yeah, I'm just taking a leap of faith. Like, if I continue doing what you're doing, like, you've been in this for 14 years. And you're still, you know, sitting as a master sergeant. There are people making far more money out there. They have better retirement plans. I'm stuck in the military. So, like... I was like, I want to go and experience everything you're telling me that can go wrong. Let me have that moment because I am young and I can always bounce back. And I never, I think a lot of things, especially being part of Bunker, people live for the money. Like I'm an entrepreneur, but I don't want to make certain decisions because I don't want to affect the money. It's like, once again, you would never know how successful you truly are if you don't take risks. Like in my opinion, everyone thinks differently, but I think entrepreneurship is all about taking risks. This is the the way where you get to make the decisions and do things you want them to be done. Or else, you know, if we want to operate like Google, Facebook, use their SOPs and do things the way they did things. Yeah, no, no matter how high paying a job is, whether you're a software developer at Google, making two, $300,000, you're still participating in wage slavery. You're still exactly. renting out your time for your skills that has a linear growth path, maybe a few bonuses that can change the linear trajectory. But in order to have generational wealth, you need to have equity in something, whether it's investing in some sort of commodities or assets or building equity within yourself and your own business. You never, you never really can have that true experience. So this is the way that the internet has opened up the utility for all of us like us to brand ourselves and then basically have a hundred percent equity in everything that we do that other people want to invest in and things like like crypto now opens access to the the average investor to invest in smaller things that that they typically didn't have access to in the traditional world so exactly that this is the way that we've been moving and th and that's the cool part like you look back like when i was growing up in the 90s like you know it, the way things are now is like yo we got computers in all schools like that's a thing i remember i just go there and play solitaire I did a little on uh, the brick one, the brick attack yeah. one. I used to play that, and I'm like, yo, this this is dope. And then I look at what my kids are going to have going to school. Like, iPads are issued in some schools. Like, standard, the libraries are handing out iPads. I'm like, what happens to just going to the library and get a book? You know, we used to computers to go to chat rooms when we were kids in the library. Now, like, you actually see kids 
building things. I'm like, where are these opportunities at when I was growing up? Yeah, they have like Roblox in their classroom, yeah. Minecraft, some of these, some of these. <laughs> My son just showed me some some armor or something that he built. I'm like, oh, that's dope. Don't ask me to play because I don't know how to do thing. I try watching YouTube videos and it's just, it's cool to see the advancements. Once again, like, I want my kids to always be better, so I always get them the things, and that's why I go out and do all the the outreach stuff that I do because I think the education. Once again, most people think to get out of poverty, you need to go get a four year degree. I'm like, that's wrong because I was in poverty and I don't have a four year degree and I don't live in it anymore. And it's it's all through work ethic, and that's one thing people miss. Like you go sit and you're in books all day. Colleges are still making you like prove your work ethic. They give you all this homework, and people think I'm doing this for a piece of paper. No, they're actually giving you a skill that you can learn anywhere else. You go get three retail jobs. Work ethic. Oh, be, you know? work. Yeah, work ethic, obedience, consistency, grit, mm-hmm. willpower. Those are all applied in entrepreneurship and also in uh, the labor force as well. Sure. But a trend that I've been seeing now is with the the open accessibility of the of how technology has been transforming. The entrepreneurs are becoming younger and younger and younger. I see entrepreneurs now literally still in high school making tens of thousands of dollars or sometimes even more. And for some of the older generation or even some that are our age, they, they're a little salty surrounding it because they didn't have that opportunity. But those who have an entrepreneur mindset have to capitalize on that immediately and say like that's good that these people got in early you know they're younger this is the way that society is progressing but now it's my turn to capitalize on the on these new things that have been introduced into into the market as you are somebody who works with entrepreneurs in a few different businesses obviously with a fund you're actively investing in different things and communicating with entrepreneurs but also with bunker labs vegas which deals with veterans who are working to get into entrepreneurship. For those who haven't listened to the episode with Dave Berlin, who you, who you work with, can you give us a description of what Bunker Labs is? Yes. Yeah, so for starters, people assume Bunker Labs is for veterans. And I tell them, no, it's not. It's for anyone that really, so military spouses, they're, they're a veteran. Like they serve just like anyone else. Um, it's, it's, as well as people that like, just give their time to the military community. So we are, we are a community project that helps and serves people that really cater and give time. And they're, they're passionate about helping the military community. But we are, uh, I'm also going to consider us an incubator of sorts. We're not a full incubator because you don't really drive you to money, but we're a community that helps drive you into your entrepreneurial journey. So you, you leave the military you don't know what you want to do, but you want to start some of your own. That's the only thing you know. Great. Go to bunkerlabs.org, and you can go to our um, learning lab. And this is Lunch Lab Online. You guys should get to learn what entrepreneurship uh, entrepreneurship truly is. And, like, that's the first start of that. Um, what we do here, which I love, is we have what we call a veterans resident program. That's a bread and butter of this. You took the time to learn, build, do a business model, Canvas, all the other cool stuff. What do you do with that? Well, once you get your business license, you have that product ready to go. We, you apply for on the VR, you come through, you talk to someone like me. I let you know, like, you know, yeah, you're ready for this, or you need a little bit of work, but I'm never going to send you out and just say no. Um, VR is in partnership with WeWork. We actually gave you six months of free workspace. The workspace is cool, but the best part about it is the community. So we're in 32 different states, and we got chapters all around there. So the community is is bigger. So you come in, you need. Uh, a designer, 
I can guarantee you can find you a veteran designer that's not going to charge you an arm and a leg to get your product out there that you truly need because they cost money and you're in the startup phases. So having that community as you start growing as a as an entrepreneur is very important, and no one understands veterans' uh, anxiety, uh, any type of you know PTSD or anything on the disability side, unless you're in that community. So we can really help launch those careers. Well, not careers, but launch those dreams of veterans um, and give them the, the, the permissions to say, yes, like I'm taking my my time in my life and I'm going to go the direction I want to go by taking a leap, leap of faith and start my own business. And the side hustle, um, Todd Connors, he started the bunker. Now he's the founder. Um, he wrote a book called Third Shift Entrepreneur. And I actually love it because it's all about, yeah, you're working a job while building your dream. So you may work a nine to five, but, you know, six, because you want to get yourself the hour of travel and everything else. But, you know, six to one, you're building your dream. And once that dream kind of comes back and you're making what you're making your job, that's how you know you're on the right path. And bunker kind of embraces all that. So as somebody who is involved with Bunker pretty regularly or even so daily and somebody who also made that transition from a stable military job into the inconsistencies of the entrepreneur world, why do you think it is that veterans want to leave this stable lifestyle to pursue something that has so much instability that the majority of them don't make it? Once again, I don't speak for everyone, but for me, I think the fact that I can make mistakes and not have to be reprimanded around it, oh, you just lost $100,000. I just lost $100,000. I get that. I understand that. But when we're in the military, there's far more consequences with that. So you're not really, you're a pawn for the government, but you, you don't really get to make mistakes and truly grow because you're afraid to make those decisions because you know there's a consequence behind it and you can't live freely. So a lot of people actually just want to come out and, and do the what ifs. What if I tried this? What if I wanted to turn right instead of going left? You know, and then like seeing the consequences yourself, as you said earlier, that's what we all really want, but you can't really do. I joined at a very young age, so not being able to make my decisions. I, I will tell you this. I went to a college party. My wife, she's going to UCSB. We was in Ala Vista Party Central, and I didn't know how to act at the party because I was so – like in tune with any anything I did at that moment, it come back to me in the military. And like, you know, if I got arrested at that party, great, I got arrested. But then I got to go back to the base and depending on what the, the offense is, I might get arrested again, right? <laughs> get arrested twice for the same punishment. It's just not cool um, to have like a lot of things that you kind of want to experience that you can't experience when you have so many barriers. So when people get out, they're like, I get to do all my first. I've done a lot of my first from 25 to 30 and I would say I don't regret not one. So, would you would you say there was an incubation peri- period from leaving the military to finding, we'll say, your groove or your your voice or your chemistry within entrepreneurship? Because, as we know, the military is heavily regimented. Everything is uh, organized and divided up to the nearest second or minute or however it is. But with entrepreneurship, it's completely the opposite. You try to be organized and create these these roadmaps and things that you want to follow, but never goes that way. And within a few months, you have to pivot multiple directions. How long would you say it took you to transition from that military mindset to that entrepreneur mindset? So, and I would say people do this differently. Like I was young when I got out. And for me, my brain just wasn't fully developed in, in the ways because I was such a disruptor and a rebel that I just never really did. I always try to do what I wanted to do. 
But it took me, I'm going to say, from the decision, the time I decided to become an entrepreneur, I would say three months. And that's just because I knew I wanted to do. And I really had to build up to, for the buy-in from my wife because I'm like, yeah, we're not going to be making money for a while, you know. And and we decided to have a kid, which we only had one at a time, so it wasn't as stressful. But as times came up, it, you know, I was like, it's the best decision ever because, yeah, I missed the stability of having things on my calendar. I suck at putting things on my calendar. <laughs> like, Don't I, we all? But, like, they did that. Like, hey, you have everything lined up by the minute in the military, including doctor's appointments. I can say, hey, I'm going to go do this doctor appointment. We know it's going to be an hour long. I hardly go to the doctor today, mm-hmm. even an entrepreneur, because I don't have the time because I'm always overbooking myself. So I do miss, like, that stability of, like, having something set. But I also love the freedom. Like, I miss it. I don't want to do it. <laughs> I love the freedom because, like, oh, from one or two, I'm going to be doing this podcast with Jake. I'm not going to schedule anything else. Five minutes before, I was on the phone like, hey, yeah, I got five minutes to talk, right? But, you know, I, I made those choices. And I think um, that was, like, the best decision. It took me three months to find my voice because I was so confused. But once I found it, I never looked back, and I kept rolling with it. That is incredible. And so how, what, what was the introduction into Bunker Labs? Was this something that was discussed within the military while you were there? Was it just something that you looked up while you're out here in Las Vegas? How did you find your yes, way to so, it? So uh, Bunker didn't exist since I brought us to Vegas, like out here. But I was actually in New York. Um, along my, my journey of trying to find like technology, I actually, my first ever opportunity I did was um, cold immersions in New York. So I went out there because, A, I was using my military benefits. I was getting, like, four, almost five grand in BH. So I'm like, yo, go out there and learn. Get five grand. Say, uh, what, what is that, like a stipend? Yes. So get um base, basic housing allowance. So basically, you know, once you go through and you do at least three and a half, four years, you qualify for post-911, which I used, my GI Bill, went out there. And part of that is they pay for education. They also get you housing stipend. So because I was in New York, I was living, I was actually managing a home at a co-living space. I was managing it, paying like 700 bucks in rent. So I was able to send my wife back whatever else I had left. Like it was really, it was like having a job without, you know. But I went to a Bunker Labs event and I was just so so stoked. I'm like, wait, there's a place for, for veterans to like come and talk about ideas. And then I learned these aren't ideas. They're actually having their own businesses. Like, there's logos everywhere. It's a super cool thing. And in New York, everything's just, like, times 100 when it comes down to entrepreneurship. So then you got all these people, lawyers, all these people giving back their time to support. I was like, crap, I don't have none of this in Vegas. So I came back to Vegas, and I will tell you this. I spoke with um, Hark. He's the COO now. And then Jake, he's one of the resource man- um, managers. But I spoke to them both, and I was like, I want to have a chapter here. What I got to do? I'm not giving up no kids, but I got like both my arms and legs. If you want one of those, there's like, oh, well, Vegas is not on the map. I was like, it should be. So it took me six months for them to say, yeah, we're gonna give a chapter. Um, and then it took me another six months to find Dave. So I brought mm-hmm. Dave in, and then like a year later, we were actually able to have our lunch. So it was a process and a half, but it was a fight and a good fight that we won because we didn't have the ecosystem, but Bunker Labs actually showed me that we can have something like that. And that's what I fought for. Now we have a, a cohort of nine people. We had 10 last go around. Now we got nine. So 19 people we just added to the community for entrepreneurship. Wow, that's amazing. Are there any similarities between all of the veteran entrepreneurs within Bunker Labs? It's, it's, it's a lot of different. So first off, you see a, a, a ton of, of spouses. 
right? Now, my wife was a spouse, but she was very young, and she was going to school. But typically, a spouse has this thing of, I stay home, I take care of the kids, that's it, prepare for you go. But you meet people like Monica, she has spousely. You meet people like her who's building a full-fledged platform to help uplift businesses and others. Um, there's a lady in um, South Carolina, she does candles. I was like, I thought Yankee was the only person that had <laughs> No, she actually has great candles. And I'm just like, crap, like, what's going on? Then you see, like, uh, a bunch of people doing, like, Airbnb. My buddy Kevin has, like, his – he manages uh, homes um, through um, Patriot Vacation Rentals. I'm like, once again, you can make money managing other people's property. Like, you learn so much from these businesses. They are all different, and these people are actually taking that discipline of learning a job and doing it right and applying to the entrepreneurial lifestyle. And I'm like, crap, I should have paid more attention when I was in the military, so I could have done that. And I would just have one direction. But um, being a jack-of-all-trades has helped me help them <laughs> as well. So I think um, as we go forward, every business is going to be different. The passions are all there, and you get to learn a lot. And really, like, I'm 80% disabled from the military. You actually see a lot of people that are disabled. And, like, entrepreneurship is the reason I'm saying. I tell everyone it's like, I have real bad anxiety, borderline PTSD. But entrepreneurship, even though it's crazy, like, I don't know what's going to happen next. I have never had, like, a lapse where I fell into deep depression because of that. It, it kind of keeps me sane. So entrepreneurship, outside of the, the community that you get with Bunker, it helps inspire and it helps heal people. And do you, do you think you mentioned that you you possess the jack of all traits from all the things you've done between the military, bunker labs, um, coding, and some of these other endeavors that, that we hadn't gone into yet. Did that make it an easy transition to the uh, Dear Mama Fund? As somebody who's helping with a fund, you need to have not only an entrepreneurial mindset, but you have to have a builder mindset, and that comes with the coding. You need to have the investor mindset to know how to allocate capital. So, was that transition smooth? So uh, I'm going to say it was really smooth, mostly because majority of the people on that squad are from either A, like Alicia, she's a visionary, but I met her through Bunker. She was actually the one going out and getting all the money for Bunker and fundraising. I was like, yo, I didn't learn how to do that. And Alicia, she's like the big sister I never had because I don't have a big sister. So she legit, like, like without second guess, I've actually tried to get a VC a couple times, but traditionally you see people with degrees or you know they had successful exits or they come with millions of dollars and i'm just a young black male you know they're like you have nothing that we need to have you in this, in this fund she's like no i i love you you got these superpowers you're great you love people like no brainer you're part of the executive team i'm sitting here like wait time out like i thought i was gonna have to do a lot more work to get in, into this but dear mama it's doing everything I wanted to do. The issue that we were trying to solve is there's, in this world that we live in, 4%, I'm going to be generous, 4% of VC funds goes to black founders. Last year they did a study, and out of 31 um, startups, um, $114 million was raised. Out of that 31 startups, only 4% of the founders are black. And out of that, you know, like, a lot of money wasn't allocated. Those weren't, like, you know, five to a million dollars with those startups. Uh, there were far less um, startups that they didn't mention that had less than 500000 And some, you know, minorities, period, don't get the do dollars at all. Their mama wants to solve the problem of helping black and brown and women entrepreneurs find and secure money to get that, the opportunity to thrive. So when people tell you no, we're going to tell you yes. 
And it's called Dear Mama. I love how Alicia said it. It's called Dear Mama because moms are super forgiving. They, 9 out of 10, won't tell you no unless you just, like, you really messed up and they're just going to tell you no for your own good. But other than that, they're gonna, not going to tell you no. And it's, it's an environment that want to help. And we're spreading the wealth of putting dollars into black communities so we can help uplift ourselves because in this world, VCs don't have a lot of partners that are black. We don't have a lot of women that are VC partners. You don't have a, a lot of things. So we want to show people, like, we can do what everyone else is doing. Like, we just need the opportunity. And uh, so we, cause I call it the underestimated. My buddy Ruben, he said that word, and I've been saying it ever since. Uh, underestimated just truly means the opportunity has been presented. Alicia presented me with the opportunity, so I got to wear, like, a badge, and I'm out here trying to build an ecosystem around what I'm building. And that's truly, like the transition was that easy because we share the same values. We're not in it to make millions. We're in it to solve problems. And that's something that I found with entrepreneurship is that you gravitate to those who you share the same ideals with, um, even with the internet and having such a, and I have, I have an easier time connecting with people from the internet that I've never met in person than sometimes people in the real world. But that's because everyone is kind of conforming around one general idea. So it makes you easier to, to relate. It's up to what you were saying about, about Dear Mama. Um, I do have two questions. Um, we could tack it either way. Uh, one question is, is Dear Mama, that are the operators of Dear Mama primarily minority base? Is it a very diverse group that helps manage this fund? And then the second part is, why do you think that the minorities only receive 4% of funds allocated from VCs? So we do the first one. Uh, mm-hmm. So we are a diverse group. Um, I think if we're going to throw like colors into this, this mix, on our executive team, there's only one white person. So he's actually the minority. <laughs> but um, we all have similar, you know, walks of life. So I think uh, I think it's like 40% of us are actually veterans. The other actually work with like high death. So we're going to be the Def Jam of VC. And there are a couple of people that actually work with the Def Jam. Oh, that's <laughs> awesome. So like we, we want to really grow that. And um, the diversity thing is we don't look at it. Like we, we look at it as you want to help solve the problem. But ironically, we just have a super diverse group. <laughs> that's good. Cool. Well, that's imp- that's very important is so you can have uh, a wide array of ideas and backgrounds because you never know what somebody went through. Exactly. But if you, this is the problem that's plagued America and just society in general is having one race or group, whether it's white men, white men or white women or whichever it is that governs one team. And so they kind of have the blinders on because they don't have anybody else telling them like, Hey, this is, this is the wrong way to go about it. Exactly. And I think that answer question number two, once again, I only can speak from like just my thoughts, but I, I just think like based off of just the stereotypes that have been formed in America, People always say there's a lot of change going on, but it's not. It's not. VC is one of these clubs where you really get an audience if you know someone. It's not. I, when I was looking for funding from business, I knocked on so many doors without getting any replies. But if you know someone, they may crack the door open for you, but they're not going to let you in all the way. And, you know, being a black founder, we don't get those audiences with the same people that we kind of want. And it, it, it sucks because you pass up on tons of good ideas. And we just, you know, Starbucks is Starbucks. But I know a ton of dope black coffee companies that really have great coffee, and yet they would never get the audience that our Starbucks would get. Our Starbucks would not work and collab with them unless there's a need. 
So last year, we had so many tragedies happen in the black community. Everyone wants to throw money to solve a problem, but it, that wasn't a problem. The problem is we get treated differently. They got this word, BIPOC. I hate it. BIPOC? Yeah. Never heard that. So, so it's a term for minorities that they use, and, and it's like a government term. It's a federal thing to do. Um, so black, Indian, and people of color, right? I don't like those terms because we're labeling everything. So if I'm going to put money to a BIPOC company because I need to because someone said I didn't, I know what label to put the dollars down on and mm. walk away from. You're not solving anything by throwing your money at it. The, the way that you solve the problems is you give everyone the same opportunity. Like, look at the company. Look at the mission. Look at the passion behind it. Don't look at the color of someone's skin or their gender. Give people the same opportunity based on the business. And people look too much into it. I just had this conversation with um, one of the, uh, a scout in um, Florida. And I was like, LinkedIn sucks. Because if I come to you and I say, hey, I want to hit you up. I want to have a, a conversation around my business. First thing you're going to do is go on LinkedIn and look and see where I went to school. You're already forming stereotypes once you start doing that. And that's what happens day in, day out when people look for funding is people go and do research. Oh, well, when he was 15, he went to jail. We can't fund a company like that. But you don't know what they did from 15 on. You don't know the impacts on that. Um, Pitchingly out here, it's actually downtown. Like the guy, he went to jail. But guess what? He has a full business because of a problem he saw while he was inside that correlated to him having a really good solution. And, you know, he's one of the, his, his company is one of the best places to work at right now. I'm like, that's dope. And he's a black man. I mean, it sucks that they want to label the fact that he's a black man before they just acknowledge the solution he had. But still, he had that. But I never want to be in this world where people say, oh, a black male, Mario Mitchell, is Mario Mitchell has mm-hmm. done this. Don't ask me who I am or what color I am or where I'm from because I'm from Mississippi. People know we have a <laughs> system there. And people are quick to judge, but innovative things are even happening in Mississippi. My cousin's from there, but guess what? She founded a company. Um, she's CTO. Amazon came and bought the company. She became the first black female CTO of Amazon acquired company. And then Amazon Heart gave her a job. She became the first black female applied science manager for Amazon. And now she's the first black female um, tech evangelist for AI, right? And then she's built a $150 million tech district down Mississippi, right down the street from Jackson State University, where we can bring technology back. And that's the that's the issues is no one's giving opportunities to those communities that have predominantly black. We just keep them the way that they are until we need to touch on it. So like, mm-hmm. oh, we've been we've been talked about because we're not putting money into the black community. Here's some money. That's yeah, that's yeah. that's been Unfortunately, that's been the route that society's gone is that it ain't broken until there's a spotlight shed on it or somebody exactly. dies or goes bankrupt or something horrible happens. But but we know that same idea applied to health is the best way to go about it, right? Like um, procedural health and surgical um, applications, right? Like people who go in and get lipo after they've been enormous their entire life. Um, is not as effective as if you just ate healthy and had preventive medicine. So that's the kind of thing is in order to prevent um, all these injustices and the the economic divide, you have to go in and apply capital early where somebody has the right mentality so that you could grow out this blooming area, whether it's down in Mississippi or out here in Las Vegas, and then it blossoms into something that saves everyone on the way up and not just saving the few on the way down. It, it prevented, was it preventative care? Like that's what we're doing. 
Um, that's why I like Dio's. Dio's like, hey, you look at your 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 diet. I actually have the super dope dentist, and she called me out the other day. Like, I had a real bad infection, and a year prior, she told me, oh, you got an infection. You come back and get to it. I was like, whatever. Like, it's not bothering me. Came back in so much pain, ready to cry. And she was like, mm. And I did not tell you a year ago. I had to go back and look and make sure I didn't miss anything. I left a note and told you about this. I was like, do you not want my money or not? <laughs> but I appreciate the honesty because, once again, like, in our community, you only can be bluntly honest. Like, you messed up. I'm not going to sugarcoat it for you. Like, this is your fault. Even though you're coming to spend money with me, I'm going to tell you how it is. And sometimes I don't get that. I had a business, um, and, and my business partner never truly understood what I was going through being a young black male, being a dad of, of four. You know, and, like, the sacrifices, like, I couldn't just go out and do the things he did because I got treated differently. Like, I don't get the same audiences he does. Even though we're business partners 50-50, he never sat down to understand the struggles I had as an entrepreneur. And that's why I always try to find people that can relate to me because you can't have these conversations with people that don't look like you. It's just that tough. He's trying to explain, I felt this way. I don't think that was the case. I just think you're thinking about it wrong. It's like, you don't know. Like, I said, I felt this way. I didn't say that that was a problem. It's just it's how I felt. And you can't provide comfort in a way that I understand. We can't work together. And that soured that, that business relationship because it was uh, – it was something that I, I couldn't deal with, I couldn't cope with. And I go to a lot of events here, and people just don't get when I say we need to have a community, a diverse. I don't even use the word black anymore. I think diversity is key. I spoke to tons of entrepreneurs. We all have the same issue. If you have a, a, a different gender or a shade of color in your skin, you already get the back door. And Vegas is one of these places where you don't get the same, same types of opportunities if you don't look a certain way. Like No matter how they sugarcoat it, we're a super diverse touristic place. You know, V is the most diverse uh, college campus. When, like, we're in hospitality. Like, who works in, in, in these industries in hospitality? Mm-hmm. Minorities. It, you know, it's not like how they, they're painted to be. And I love Vegas, and I think it has so much potential. I just think they live in these old ways, and these old ways is what's truly stopping them from making the innovative changes that we have in the forefront. Yep. So I think if we come together as young progressives and we just stay open-minded the way we are, we will change. It might take a while. Yeah, but, but change gonna come. And there is there is movement happening. This is a this exact topic is something we have chatted about multiple times on separate occasions. Of how do we bring the antiquated model of Las Vegas into the limelight of this digital revolution and the creator economy and all these other things that are be kind of like upending this traditional physical world. Vegas operates in this like 4D model, right? Or a 3D model where everything you see in front of you is what you get. There isn't really like a, an application layer on top of much. For Why I have no idea being like right. the entertainment capital world with billions of dollars that kind of just circulate within the strip. This is, this is why we have things like tech and that tech alley and the blockchain meetup and funds and VCs moving down here is that everyone's recognizing that Vegas has a massive amount of opportunity. This is something that most people reiterate on this show time and time again. It's a small city. Everyone's separated by two to three degrees of separation. You can reach yeah. anybody of, of status, whether it's of wealth or social status, fairly quickly, as long as you know maybe one or two people. Whereas other places like New York and LA, you'd never be able to reach some of these people that are very sought after. 
Vegas had opportunities here. It's diverse culturally. It's becoming diverse economically. That's the goal to bridge off of tourism dependency. It's politically diverse. It's generally a purple state, swings back and forth between Democrats and Republicans. So there's, there's this, we're just like this giant melting pot of everything that we need. We just kind of need to help fortify those structures that we're all building. But this is why I find this like such an interesting debate is that is the issue the, here, I'll ask you this. Do you think the issue in Vegas right now is that it's generally governed by people who can't relate to the younger crowd? Do you think it's a, do you think it's a capital allocation issue? Is it a mindset issue? What, where do you, where do you stand on that? I, I like the idea of, um, it's the mom and pop syndrome. So they always assume they know what's best for the younger generation. Oh, this is what you should do. I'm like, you don't know a lick on technology to be providing any sort of input, but they just like, people just assume cause they have 25, 30 years on you. They know what's best. I'm like in 2021, those ways died 40 years ago. This is the way that we're doing things now. So I think, like that mom and pop syndrome also means that they're not open-minded enough to try new things. And like you said earlier, Vegas is like this melting pot and a melting pot, like you putting different things in there to try it out. And yet we're not doing that. So we have these barriers that prevent us from moving forward. And that's going to always be an issue unless we get, I, I hate to say it, but more, more progressive. So young, more young people actually making some of the decisions for the directions we're going. Cause if we don't do that, we're never going to progress and catch up with the times because Vegas has the potential. And yet we have so many people moving from California, but they're going to probably stay in their homes, harm it, not want to do anything because they have so much freedom in California. Like I, I love California. <laughs> like if they didn't have the taxes and whatnot, ours probably still Exactly. There, so. Yeah. That's why you go out there, visit right. there. We love right. the energy. Exactly. They just have their own issues. And one of the main issues of Vegas, I think is the temptation of the, and the nature of the city where, any day of the week you could go out and get laid or go gamble and feed some of these addictions, go to strip clubs, regular clubs, entertainment, anything like that. So I think the amount of capital that's generated on the strip tends to stay on the strip because those who work in it, and this was, I was, I was a culprit of this as well, going to make a, a decent amount of money and then going back out on the strip and spending half of it just to go feed that, that, itch or that inkling that you have that you need to satisfy, you know, your sex drive or your flaunt your ego or all these other things that happen on the strip. But oh, I've, I've been blessed. <laughs> I got married early. So I lucky for you, like for you, I'm not nowhere. I'm, I don't do this anymore after my like three year sobriety streak that kind of like snapped everything with FOMO and all yeah. those other things that are kind of tied with going out and experiencing the strip in the downtown area. But now I've noticed, and maybe it's just because I have the podcast where I talk with entrepreneurs, there's a strong urge with generally 35 or 40 and younger of wanting to do something with the city now that we've kind of been anointed this like entertainment capital world. But now we have sports teams coming out here and other famous icons are moving out here. People are kind of saying like putting the stamp of approval to Vegas. Like you guys are actually a community now. You're not just this like sin city anymore. You're an actual city with people out here. And all of us, the younger, the younger generation are realizing like, Hey, this is our time now to build the new future of Las Vegas. And that we get to be the leaders of the city in the future where it's been kind of absent of culture over the last hundred years of its history. 
Yeah, and I used to be one of those people that want to work with the city, and I realized the city doesn't push change. I think as an entrepreneur, we just assume working with the city, working with the state, is going to give us more flair. But in reality, it's the communities that we're looking to help and serve that's going to give you that. Like, if you're working, your whole business thrives on grants. You go inside the communities, you work with some nonprofits that already focus on that mission, the grants come with those partnerships. The city, yes, they speak great. Like, you know, they give great speeches on, like, what they can accomplish and what they want to accomplish. But we're entrepreneurs, so what they can and what they they want doesn't work for us. We need a what we can do. You know, we need some sort of direction where we're going to have this partnership concreted down. I don't want to chase you. And that's the issue that that we also run into as entrepreneurs is we live in ourselves because we chase after certain relationships that we want to be a part of. But those relationships aren't the key to our success. It's the communities around. I always tell people, and I read this super cool thing, which I think is true, is have two best friends, which I do have two best friends. <laughs> um, one, um, he's like me, you know, education system failed him, so he never got into uh, education whatsoever. He's into the technology, but he's the one that tells me what I need to hear. Like, we were business partners, and, like, he is straight telling me, like, you're being too nice about this. Or, you know, he gives me that leg up. My other best friend is godfather of all four of my kids, right? So he's the one where if I need spiritual or anything like that, like, he's there for me. I mean, he's educated, sports psychology, all this other stuff. And it's also great to have those two things that help nail me down because neither one of them are entrepreneurs, but they give me elements that I can't find an entrepreneur, which is because we're always on the go. So having multiple best friends or just having friends, period, can help you really overcome some of the issues that you're having living here in Vegas. Because Vegas, is, like you said, is very tempting. I don't gamble. But when I do go out and gamble, like me and my wife just went, I made, like, I won. I was like, oh, crap. <laughs> and if it wasn't for her, I was still there all night till I lost. I probably lost everything I won. It's that dopamine hit you that right? you got. I was over there like, oh, I, I brought us up. She lost everything. So I'm like, I brought us up. Like, we're, we're staying. Then she's like, no, we're going home. I was like, you're no fun. <laughs> no regrets, though. I don't carry cash unless I go to the casino. So you ever catch me with cash? Probably because I won. That's I'm the, I'm the same exact way. Everything's completely digital. I'm just trying to immerse myself in this, the new economy that's emerging, which isn't to, to most people. It's not obvious to people, but to people like me and you and those who are on this show and those who want to build something, it's the most obvious transition that ever since COVID happened and we we're all locked away in our apartments and we we're kind of forced to navigate the internet in whichever way helps us survive and communicate yeah. is going to, is here to stay. And it's only increasing remote working is, is here to stay and it's increasing. Um, companies are cutting out the commercial space. Telehealth is, is emerging and all of these other completely digital and remote services are just popping up left and right. And now the importance of content creation, how we are basically the new media Nobody's listening and watching CNN, Fox, MSNBC. Oh, those still exist. That's what I'm saying. That's what I'm saying. I think the the younger generations have realized that it's all a farce, that it's all entertainment. And we crave that authenticity because we've been through two recessions. We've been through all of these other just tremendous experiences in life and all of these like sad things with like 9-11 and uh, most of us almost or the majority of 
the population growing up in the 2008 financial crisis, almost losing everything and having to survive. And we don't want the, the fake stuff anymore. And you can't, now you can't hide behind your business as most CEOs used to before smartphones and before the internet, you just acknowledged Coca-Cola as Coca-Cola. You didn't think about who are the people behind Coca-Cola, but now everyone wants to know who's operating that business. Who, what's the social impact? What, what does the, the CEO think on certain ideas? And yeah, maybe social signaling and some of these other things have extended a little bit farther than they need to be. But we want to know every little detail about every little business, every little person, because that comes down to our decision making. Yeah. And speaking of the news thing, I mean, have you ever heard of Robert Smith? No, I'm not familiar. Uh, but you know, Mark Zuckerberg. Right? Yeah. So Robert Smith is one of America's black billionaires. And his, like, I don't care about all the other bad things they try to find about tax, whatever tax issues he had. But the biggest thing that he's done, the reason why I want to shake his hand is right at the last year, right at the head of the pandemic, he paid for a graduating class at a historical black college, paid for all their tuition because he knew coming out of school with this pandemic, there weren't going to be any chances of them getting a job right away. College loans don't care about, you know, like whether you're working or not, you got to make that payment or else they're docking it on your credit. He actually was like, I want to save parents the headache. I want to give these kids a fighting chance paying for all their tuition news outlets didn't cover that part. They covered when he didn't pay his taxes, mm -hmm. just like that. They didn't cover him paying for all this education, but you know, they cover Mark Zuckerberg and he's going to speak in front of Congress and all this mm -hmm. other stuff. I'm like, we always try to find the bad for entertainment. But I, I really think that we should um, always look for the good that's going on out there too. Cause one thing I want to do is that like, I ever make enough money to go and pay for a graduate yeah. class. Mm -hmm. One of the reasons why I chose to go to the military is because my mom couldn't afford to like help me go to college. Like that was a the 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 ability to dream, and I just learned about like why dreams make you vulnerable. Once again, going back to dear mama, Alicia <laughs> said this thing where someone asked like, "Hey, what was your dream growing up?" And like you know, and then the follow-on is, "Are you living it?" And I was like, "That's that's that is a sucky question to ask because where I come from, dreams aren't made possible. Dreams aren't something that we want to." talk about because it's a it's also a hard thing because we know we couldn't do it like you just put that stamp of i want to become president of the united states but yeah at first i gotta be 35 in certain neighborhoods kids don't live to be that old you know so it, it sucks to know that dreams aren't made possible everywhere and i'm like how can i help solve the problem and i, I know I, I went way back in, no, but that's, that, a that's the whole point of like what the dear mama fund does for me and like no matter what, we're going to have conversations after this. You can always hear me talk about the things that I'm doing, like dreams made possible. When I say scout, that's what I want to call a scout program, dreams made possible. And it's like DMP, so it's also Dear Mama Fun. But, you know, dreams made possible is because me and you going to have a conversation. We can go outside the door right now. You can say, hey, I want to go meet, I don't know, Steve Wynn. You got a better chance of meeting him than I do, mm -hmm. right? And it, it has nothing to do with that. But my dream is to do that. You just might want to go meet him. And, you know, it's, it, it's not fair. But using the opportunity of we have a scout program that would get you this money you need to really start your journey entrepreneurship, that's something that we want to give to other individuals because we don't have a friends and family around that we can go ask. I couldn't ask mm -hmm. my friends and family for money. People were like, oh, just do friends and family. Well, what friends and family? <laughs> my mom 
she she manages um gas station. She works very hard for what she does. I think she overcommits. She has the, the ability to do way more. Just like my mother in law. They both work hard, but they're both women and they're both people of color and they don't get the opportunities that anyone else has. Like they both can be running things. That's how hard they work. Forty hours maximum or minimum, they're putting like eighty a week. And they're on salary, so they don't get paid the extra hours. And that's why I'm like y'all should just start your own companies because like if you're gonna put that kind of time into someone else and make them money and they don't recognize it, it's time for you to start your own thing. And that fear, and we can't we can't reverse engineer this. We were we had the opportunity, I had the opportunity to learn entrepreneurship, right? Like five years I had this freedom because I'm fearless. My mom taking care of three kids by herself, she gave up on her dreams of doing anything she wanted to do. She has two bachelor degrees. And yet, because she had to work at places to make money to survive, she doesn't have work experience. I just think society is, like, people go to school, but I think we should do away with that, that it's, whole system. It's an, it's 100% an antiquated model, which I don't know whether they're purposely repressing um, information and knowledge to, so that you become indoctrinated to run out your time to get paid in a linear fashion. There's a lot of conspiracies that surround that idea, but entrepreneurship is going, is definitely on the rise. And, you know, speaking of, of like entrepreneurship and black entrepreneurs, I've seen this transition recently, maybe in the last like four to five years of black athletes diving into entrepreneurship, hardcore, where for a long time, whether it was the media only covering bad antics of, of black athletes going out, spending their money, gold chains, whatever, living lavishly. Now a lot of them are leading investing rounds that I'm seeing. And Kobe, Kobe Bryant was actually a pretty prominent person in, in this domain. Mm-hmm. But now you see like LeBron does this and Steph Curry and all these other athletes. And I think it's very encouraging because a lot of, um, bl- a lot of the black youth look up to these athletes. Exactly. And if they see them being entrepreneurial and building schools like LeBron James's, then it's only going to encourage them to follow that path. Yeah. I- just like I, I, I really like Jay Z. Like Jay Z, you listen to half his songs. It's all about him giving you the knowledge of how he got to where he's at. Um, my mentor. So when I was in high school, I was. I'm not gonna say I was a bad apple. I'm gonna say that I had behavior issues. But um, I have a mentor. He's been my mentor for the last what 11, 12 years, and um, he still mentors young black kids. And we just had a conversation yesterday about how. The system in Minneapolis is giving up on like the school system. Period, pulling all the the school police out. Like they have more shootings. He even made the assumption like he's like, "Yo, your seven year old son can read better than most of these kids graduating out of school." I was like, "Oh, that's a problem." But as I told him, the real issue is like we got all these nonprofits, but they're not solving the problem. They're band aids. I said we need to go in and teach them skills. I also have a dream, just like LeBron James School. I want to have a school that teaches young like minority kids like that don't have that chance in, in society this is how you can start your own business at 14 15 16 years old once again you brought up another point that they're you know very successful influencers out there in the world not everyone has the ability to go out there and buy products to review not everyone has a smartphone that has a good camera <laughs> like so your it limit is still like society still hasn't figured out how to basically create a utopia where people have the same opportunities and colleges, like you said, it literally limits people like Harvard. Oh, you went to Ivy League school. 
oh, you're going to make something of yourself. If that's not the case. Um, this guy, Leslie, Harvard grad, PhD, I mean, Yale grad, PhD, he straight told me how one people he graduated with, they both want to start businesses. This guy was able to do a friends and family raise like $3 million. He, uh, Leslie didn't have a friends and family. So he has to bootstrap everything. He has a really cool idea. And people will never know because people from Yale, they can raise $3 million or always top the people that want to work harder and, and put that struggle. And he, I, I, he loves what he does and he got the degree, degree so people take it more serious. But I'm like, that sucks that even when you get that piece of paper, people still won't take you serious because of where you came from. And, you know, colleges, shame on them. They should also like know that. Like my wife, she went to school, super smart, graduate honors out here. And I'm just like, what was the point? You know, I'm successful and I never went to college. I took a class, speech, very, very helpful. But other than that, and I aced it. I took a psychology class I never even went to, got an A. My wife said, like, how did you get that? I was like, I just listened mm-hmm. the one time I went. And, just, <laughs> uh, and then I got the A, I don't know. But, you know, it's, it's all about what you can put into it. I, I would hear kids when we went to parties at, at, down in um, UCSB, they're like, oh, I failed this quarter. But my parents are just gonna pay for me to retake it. I'm like, aren't you lucky? Like, my <laughs> wife feels <laughs> we, we, we stuck because we can't afford for her to just be, you know, mm-hmm. retaking classes. So she has to be great the first time around, or take the grade and settle with it. So I think opportunities like for schools. I love YouTube. I call it YouTube University. Yep. You want to go to school? Go to YouTube. You can literally change your major and not have it cost you anything. And that's why I learned a lot of my skills. I wanted to go learn how to make a mythology. YouTube. Like I watch all the videos, bar fly, everything. I'm at home. I have a full bar. I'm missing drinks. And I'm not no, no pro. You're not gonna see me throwing bottles and whatnot in the air. But YouTube has taught me a lot. Even getting into investment into the VC world. I don't have I, I didn't go to school for it. It's not something that's taught to me as a young kid, but YouTube has helped me learn a thing or two and surround myself around those people that gave me the opportunity. So I think once again, if universities didn't cost so much and they made it more affordable then I would say, oh, school is the right path to go if you want to get into that kind of thing. But it's just a dream that most people can't achieve. I want to be a doctor once. Mm-hmm. Too old now. Yeah, we society is reformatting itself from the top-down approach to the bottom-up approach. That's unit. That's like the prime example is YouTube, where every, there's millions of channels who cover probably millions of different topics from entertainment to education, comedy, documentaries, and so forth. And these are all just people like me or you who just have a camera and they want to change something in the world. And then from there, they build existing communities. And then from those communities, they build a business on top of that. And I see this becoming more and more popular over time. Some of the early YouTubers we're able to do that. Even people like Joe Rogan, who just catapulted themselves to the top of the podcasting game and to have your voice, to have 10 million people per podcast listening, like that's an astronomical reach that extends farther than some of these channels like Fox and MSNBC and CNN. So we are on the digital frontier of how the, how society is going to function in the near future. I think by the end of this decade, it's going to be so unrecognizable to some of the the older generations that they're going to have to do nothing but step down and hand over the reins. You said earlier, um, the older generation kind of hates some of the younger generation because they're like, oh, they're doing this influencer stuff or they got it too easy. 
I'm like, the older generation could have got on Bitcoin when it was like worth nothing. Like, I was young, just from the military. I couldn't capitalize on that because I was kind of shut off in the world. But once again, they had the opportunity <laughs> to be rich mm-hmm. and they missed their moment because they weren't open minded enough to just give it a try. Like, I'm just, I met a guy and he's like, Yeah, I had like, I tried to mine for pizza. I just wanted one slice. And I'm like, Yo, it cost me 20 tokens. I was like, How much were these things worth back then? Mm-hmm. And he's like, Yeah, I never got that pizza. But I cashed out and it made millions. I was like, man, I would love to be have been your age like back then and been able to like buy some Bitcoin, just buy Bitcoin. Um, yeah, man, curiosity is going to carry you into some sort of success. That's true. That's to me, that is the most important trait somebody can possess is intellectual curiosity. And people like Naval and some of the thought leaders hammer this point down consistently. Uh, we are coming up on an hour, though. I got one final question for you before mm-hmm. we get out of here. Uh, what does Las Vegas mean to you? Uh, Las Vegas, I must be honest, it's my my luncheon pad. This is where I went from being Mario, the the guy in the military, to being Mario, this, this disruptor. Like, people know who I am. I get phone calls. It really helped shape me to who I am today. So it gave me my chance, even though it's kind of broken in its own way. It gave me that voice and I'm able to go out here and use my voice and really, you know, catapult it to where I want it to be. And it truly helps me define who I want to be day in, day out. That's exactly right on point. Uh, where do I send all the listeners and those watching on YouTube to follow you along your journey or any other links you'd like to mention? So LinkedIn, I know some people don't like LinkedIn, but LinkedIn, um, you always see the smiling face if you're looking at it. <laughs> um, and then, um, so Mario Mitchell on LinkedIn. And then I actually am trying to get more into Instagram. So Mario Mitchell 78 is my Insta. And then um, really, like, you can find me on Dear Mama. So Mario at DearMamaFun.com. I talk to everyone. That's why we're calling ourselves a Def Gen VC. We talk to anybody. <laughs> so that's the three that you can kind of find me at. I'm always down to meet new people. I'm a very friendly person and I like bourbon. So old fashioned is my jam. Ooh, we send that out there. Make sure you guys follow Mario on his adventure. We'll probably do this again sometime in the future. Thank you for coming on. We've been trying to do this and organize this for a few months now. Uh, We're both busy entrepreneurs and we got to shed some light on everything that's happening in Vegas and the future. And those are my favorite conversations. So thank you for sharing your time with us. Thank you for having me. Thank you guys for listening. We'll catch you next time.